Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Friday. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. I'm so happy it's Friday in all honesty. Yes, we appreciate you, but honey, I am tired. I know. I'm so tired. You know, leading up to the holidays, it's just crazy. There's always so much going on. From, you know, work to personal stuff. There's like people you're catching up with that you haven't seen in forever, you know, obviously virtually and over FaceTime. Like I find myself just catching up with people that, yeah, I haven't gotten to talk to all year long. Yeah, I mean, you think you would think that the pandemic and just having people at home and you would think with more kind of time, you would be able to reconnect with folks. But it seems like that's even becoming overwhelming, trying to find the time to reconnect with people, even though you have a lot more time to do it, I guess. Who knows? I don't know. It's just it's this weird cycle of just knowing that life will take you for a whirlwind, uh, regardless of if you're in the house or not in the house. Yeah. So listen, uh, you know, catch up with the folks you maybe have lost touch with, you know, over this time, but don't give, don't pressure yourself too much. You know, we're, we're all there. We're all in it together in that way. You don't got to be perfect. So just do you, but coming up on the show, speaking of doing you, we've got someone very special joining us. YouTube star Glozell has a new show and she's joining us to talk about how every setback is a setup for a comeback. Yes, 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 yes. She has a, a really wild story to share. She has been to, you know, the lowest of lows, and she's very open and vulnerable about where she's at. Plus, a genderqueer author who's paving the path for inclusion with children's books. That's coming up on the show. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. As Republicans and Democrats continue to argue, I mean, negotiate to COVID relief bill, Senator Bernie Sanders laid out the case for his bill today. We all came together in March to say that every working class adult in this country would get $1,200 and their kids would get $500. So you got a husband and wife and two kids, that's 3,400 bucks. Maybe they could use that money to pay a couple of months rent, buy some food, go to the doctor. We're looking at a horrible pandemic now and you got 90 million people who are uninsured or underinsured. That's all we are asking is to do what we unanimously did in March. And after delays, uh, the Senate has approved a bill to avoid the government shutdown ahead of the deadline. After facing a series of those delays, the Senate approved by voice note a one-week temporary funding measure to stop a government shutdown hours before the deadline. The bill now heads to the president's desk for a signature. Without it, federal agencies would run out of money at midnight tonight. 
Oh, this is so frustrating. I hate this idea of government shutdowns. Like, who even thought th of that? Like, why is that even a thing? Because with government shutdowns, people who work for government don't, they, like, not get money. Like, they don't get paid, right? Like, we saw that. Uh, we've seen that at this time when we have been on the show and we've we've covered large government shutdowns in this sense. They just need to figure something out, stop fighting over what we know is necessary, and approve the funding that will help everyone get back on their feet. Like, just yeah. do it. Everyone loses a, not that way or either way. Well, we debated in yesterday's show, Ryan, uh, about the time person of the year. And guess what? They announced who it is today. Are you ready? It was at like midnight. It was so strange. I was up like last night and they were, <laughs> I saw the videos and the tweets. It was like crazy. Yeah, they like to drop it while everyone's sleeping, right? So they wake up and they can be on like the well, Today Show. I do something. think there was like a sh like an actual television like program of them like making the announcement. Yeah, a lot of celebrities were involved with announcing. Like Bruce Springsteen announced who the person of the time, like person of the year was. Yeah, and Issa Rae hosted it or something like that. Mm, nice. Yeah, I love that. It was That's a star-studded virtual I'm catch event. I'm gonna have to go watch it. Well, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris made the list. They did it. They are the time people of the year, I guess you can say. They made history on November 7th when they beat Donald Trump in one of the craziest elections that put him in a small club of presidents who served only one term. Harris on that day also became the country's first female, first black and first South Asian vice president elect. I mean, we're not shocked here. I feel like the only person who's probably upset with this is Donald Trump because, of course, he hates to lose and he lost twice. And um, mm. he's not going to get the appreciation that he feels like he deserves. So I'm OK with that. That's great. Good news. Yeah. And last year, the title, of course, was given to climate change activist Greta Thunberg, who was 16 at the time. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So let's dive into the T-Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. Sean Mendes, who, by the way, has a Netflix documentary um, that literally just talks about his boring life and his obsessive relationship with Camila Cabello. No shade, but really, it's like <laughs> annoying. Um, Sean Mendes, he had to apologize to Sam Smith for using the wrong pronouns while introducing the singer at the iHeartRadio's Jingle Ball on Thursday. Here's the moment because people are upset because this is obviously a pre-recorded moment and no one caught it. Here's that. Mm. And he is one of the sweetest and kindest and funniest people I've ever met. Please welcome the incredibly talented Sam Smith. So Sean took to Instagram to offer an official apology saying, oh, at Sam Smith, I'm so sorry for referring to you as a he for your jingle ball introduction. Um, he wrote on his Instagram stories on Friday. He said, it absolutely slipped my mind. I, it won't happen again. Sending you so much love. Also, you absolutely are one of the funniest people I've ever met. And of course, that was after fans dragged Sean saying he owed Sam and the non-binary fans out there who support Sean an apology. So uh, now it does seem to appear that Sam Smith accepted Mendez's apology, uh, writing back on their Instagram stories. We're all learning together. Happy holidays, all my love. I mean... I get it. People are really trying to uh, learn and remember, you know, they yeah. then pronouns. But I do think it was a flub up on Sean's team for not noticing that, especially totally. when you're introducing Sam Smith. And then iHeart also yes. getting that and not saying something like how many people need did it need to go through 
to be approved, yeah. which also shows that, that there's a lack of understanding of that. So we all are learning and hopefully it will stop happening. Yeah. And we all make mistakes. I mean, I have non-binary friends yeah. who are so patient with me and I appreciate that patience, but I'm striving to make sure it is right and it's good. And that's your tea report coming up more next hour. Now coming up, we've got breaking news as the Supreme Court has rejected the Republicans lawsuit challenging the election results. More details on that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. More than half of House Republicans had supported this Texas lawsuit challenging the election results, and now the Supreme Court has rejected it. Back with us is Fox News contributor Richard Fowler. Thanks for jumping in today. It's going to be with you both. How are y'all? I mean, good. This is crazy. I mean, it's never a relaxing Friday here, it seems. No, it's not a relaxing Friday, but we actually expected this to come from the Supreme Court today. And the reason why we expected it to come today was because we know that on Monday is when the Electoral College actually meets. So for folks who don't understand the metrics of this, tomorrow, I mean, excuse me, Monday, the first business day of next week, Monday, December 14th, in state capitals across the country, the actual electors will meet and they will cast their ballot for president of the United States. So the Supreme Court had to clear this case before Monday. Um, And so what we saw just happen was the Supreme Court uh, issued uh, a decision in this case. And that decision was basically, no, we will not rule on this case. Texas has no standing on how other states regulate their elections go home, don't come back. And that was all nine judges. There was no dissenting opinions. And it's worth pointing out that three of the judges on the Supreme Court were appointed by Donald Trump. One appointed just a couple months ago. And I'm so Um, happy you brought that up because I thought that was really probably a part of Donald Trump's plan, right? Having those Republican, the makeup of the Supreme Court be in his favor. But obviously we saw that didn't happen. Right. All these judges. And it's also worth pointing out that other cases of the many cases that the Donald Trump, well, most of the cases, all of them besides one, right, the cases that happened during this election, many of these cases were tried in front of Trump judges and the Trump campaign still lost. Hmm. Um, and I think what's more heartbreaking here is not that the Supreme Court rejected Donald Trump. It's the fact that on one of the sort of friends of the court briefs that was filed, there were 106 members of Congress who signed on to this. And any lawyer, I'm not a lawyer, but any lawyer that I talked to, any lawyer that I know, who looked at this case basically said, yeah, this case doesn't, this case has no evidence. This case can't even walk into the hallway of a courthouse, not even the courtroom, the hallway of the courthouse. Not the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) And so the fact that there were so many lawyers Uh of law degrees who looked at this case and thought, this is a good idea for me to sign on and be a friend of the court and say, I agree here is really problematic and really telling of just how much control Donald Trump has over the Republican party in this moment, knowing very clearly now, like if we didn't know before or the day before that, or the day before that, that he will be the former president on January 20th, when Joe Biden takes the oath of office. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Fox News contributor Richard Fowler right now. So where do these Republicans and Trump take their case now? There is no place else for Donald Trump to take their case. <laughs> to hell. I mean, that's where they could take it. They could take I, it I to will. hell. But I mean, <laughs> there's that. Um, to be clear, there is the potential that on the day 
that there is one more. So what ends with the next step in the process on Monday after the electors vote is that all the electors will send their votes to, to the vice president's office in the United States Capitol. And then there'll be a joint session of the United States House and Senate, a joint session of the legislature, United States legislature, in which they will certify the votes from the state's electors. At any point in time, if a member of the House and a member of the Senate can agree on an objection to right. the certification, then that can be debated and then there's a, if there, there's a vote on that. So there's a potential that there might be another dust up around this issue. But as far as a credible potential way for Donald Trump to overturn this election, there is no like it, it will. It's just no. not going to happen. So, well, it's what happens happen. to more than the half of House Republicans that supported this Texas lawsuit? Um, because obviously they are, you know, up Donald Trump's behind because they want to keep insecure Trump supporters. But what happens now to them? Because it seems like they're making the Republican Party a mockery of some sorts. Well, I mean, and that's a political question. I think the Republican Party is going to have to ask themselves, like, which party do you want to be? In a world that now Donald Trump is a very much a lame duck president, in a world that he will very in the next, I think we're at 39 days, will be the former president of the United States. Do you want to hitch your wagon to a one-term president? And I guess at this point in time, if you're asking the Republican caucus, they would say yes. I guess you might want to ask them on January 21st how they feel, Ryan, because right now we don't know. Mm. All right. So where do we go from here? Are there any next steps? Should we assume there's going to be some surprises next week? Uh, listen, I think where we go from here is this. Today, Joe Biden announced more members of his transition team. We heard him announce a new housing and urban development secretary um, in the former Congress. Well, she's now still a congresswoman from Ohio, Marsha Fudge. Um, Susan Rice is a domestic policy council. He announced the first Asian-American woman to be his uh, trade represent United States trade representative. The first African-American woman to be the agricultural secretary. I mean, excuse me, the housing and urban development secretary. So... Uh, you know, the, the, the Biden team is going to continue to move forward. They're going to continue, transi- continue transitioning this government, right? The first African-American man to be the defense secretary of the United States. So that's what's going to happen. We're going to continue right. to make a new government. Well, Richard Fowler, Fox News contributor, thank you so much for being here. Good to be with you guys. Uh, now coming up on the show is the FDA approves the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. What's next? We've got some of those answers with Vox.com science writer, Omer Irfan. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. An advisory committee to the FDA has voted to recommend emergency use authorization of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine, the first for COVID-19 in the U.S. In response, FDA officials said today the agency will accept the committee's recommendation and work to issue it as soon as possible. Joining us right now to tell us all about this is Umer Irfan, a staff writer from Vox. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So how rare is it to get authorization of this and approval so quickly? This is completely unprecedented. Just the whole idea of having a vaccine in less than a year of ever, you know, just discovering this disease to begin with. This is something unheard of in scientific and medical history. And the fact that the scientists and the regulators work together to try to get this out as soon as possible. Which is incredible. But I, I want to break down because I feel like we we know about Pfizer and BioNTech, but what about Moderna? Like what's going on with that? And are we should we be more excited about what what's happening with Pfizer right now more than Moderna? Well, both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine, they use actually a very similar technology. Technology. Rather than, you know, injecting 
a piece of the virus into your body to try to coach your immune system. What they actually do is they give you a piece of genetic information and your own body reads that information to make a piece of the virus. Um, and this is a completely new technology as well. This has never been tried on large scales in humans before. Uh, but the, there's a big difference between the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna one, and it's practical. The Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine has to be stored at temperatures as low as minus 70 degrees Celsius. That's about minus 90 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas the uh, Moderna vaccine can be stored at standard freezer temperatures. And so there's this sort of trade-off that a lot of hospitals have to work around because not all of them have these super cold freezers. And the vaccine that you're going to get is probably going to be whichever one is easier to deliver to you. But the FDA is now having a similar meeting next week to weigh in on the Moderna vaccine, and they may issue an emergency use authorization for that as well. Yeah, it seems like it's pretty limiting the whole uh, temperature part of it for the Pfizer-BioNTech one. If I was them, I'd see the Moderna one and be like, ooh, maybe we got this wrong. (laughs) Well, I mean, it, I mean, when we're in a crisis like this, you'll take what you can get. And the first vaccines are likely to roll out to people who are in hospitals and in care facilities. And so these are places that generally have this kind of equipment to begin with. So it's not going to be too big of a deal. But Pfizer has also invested a lot of money in developing these shipping containers that can actually store the vaccine at the required temperature for up to 10 days using dry ice. But that also adds its own challenges with the supply chain because now there's also shortages in dry ice. We're talking to Umer Irfan, staff writer from Vox, about the latest authorization of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. So, but this vote doesn't automatically mean like it's the final word. What else has to happen? That's right. So this vote came from a committee of independent scientific advisors. The way the FDA typically does things is they usually have outside advisors from universities, from other laboratories, and they give them a recommendation and the FDA usually accepts it. And they indicated, you know, on Friday morning that they're ready to accept this, but, you know, they still have to check some boxes, cross some T's, dot some I's before they can sign off on this. But the fact that this was overwhelmingly approved with that vote of independent scientists signals that this is a, they're very confident in this vaccine. What challenges do we face next as it comes to the vaccine? I mean, one of the big things was going to be the supply chain and the logistics. I mean, uh, right now, uh, the people that are in front of the line, you know, the people, the health workers and people in care facilities, that adds up to about 24 million people. And we're not going to get that many doses to begin with. We're expected to have only enough doses to vaccinate about 20 million people at best this month. And it's going to be sort of a a rolling rollout. And so figuring out who gets to be at the front of the line, that's going to be one of those big ethical and logistical challenges. And then after that, I mean, these are two dose vaccines. So it's not a one and done type deal. You have to give the shot and then wait three weeks and then get another shot. So simply tracking people and getting them to come back for the second dose, that's going to be a challenge as well. And then finally, one big challenge is going to be vaccine acceptance and hesitancy. Like there's always going to be a group of people that are going to be reluctant to take this for good reasons and bad reasons, right? There are some people that are hesitant about the politicization of this vaccine and the uh, pressure from the White House. But also there are some people that have been fed misinformation about the safety of vaccines. And you also have to counter that as well. And as we're fighting a pandemic, we need everyone or as many people as possible to get this vaccine before we can see our way out of this. So what happens to the clinical trials? Because obviously, as people start getting vaccinated, there's going to be less and fewer people actually doing the clinical trials. So what happens there? Where's the gap? That's a really important question. Yeah, these clinical trials are massive. The Pfizer-BioNTech trial was 43,000 people. And the way it works is half of them get the actual vaccine and half get the placebo. But now that if there is going to be an emergency use authorization, the officials at Pfizer say that we have an ethical obligation to tell the people who have received the placebo that they have the option of getting the vaccine. 
Mm. Now, the good news is that those people will be able to get protection, but that means that you run out of information that you can get from the trial. We remember, we learned from the trial when we compare the people who got the vaccine to the people who didn't. And if we run out of people who didn't get the vaccine, then we run out of comparisons. Because right now, like some of the things we can't find out unless we just wait, and that's mainly things like safety data. We have two months of safety, which is pretty good because most of the reactions we would expect to happen right away. But if there's any long-term complications, things that show up six months or a year down the line, you know, that's going to be harder to resolve if everybody ends up getting the vaccine. Now, the company has um, committed to monitoring the trial pool for two years, regardless. But again, you know, hospitals are trying to come up with incentives and trying to help people figure out that, you know, stay in the trial as long as you can so we can learn as much as we can. So interesting. Umer Irfan, you're going to stick around with us because we are switching gears. Coming up, how to keep your house plants alive during a pandemic winter and be a good plant parent. We all need this advice. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. The plant trend has been at a high during the pandemic, but how do you keep your plants alive during the winter? And as a new plant parent, it can all be very overwhelming. Well, back with us is Umer Irfan, staff writer from Vox. Thanks for joining us. We've talked about vaccine. We're moving on to something completely different. Uh, was this something very personal to you because you were trying to figure it out too? Right. I just moved to a new apartment and I'm just still trying to figure out how to keep everything alive. And um, yeah, I figured, you know, as a science reporter, I should probably delve into figuring out how to keep my apartment green when everything goes so gray. Right. I mean, here's the thing. I also moved and I've always wanted to have plants, uh, but I've had bad experiences in the past. So what's been kind of not like, how have you learned so much, especially um, about what plants are low maintenance, high maintenance, all these factors that go into this? Well, I talked to a couple plant experts about this and, you know, they told me that, you know, there are some very general guidelines, but if you want specific guidelines, you have to do your homework and there's really no good way around that. So that's one thing. And so you have to look in a plant database, see what kind of light it normally gets in the wild, how much food it needs and so on. But the other thing you also need to do is pay close attention to them. You know, you can't just simply put your plants on a shelf and forget about them. They actually give you a lot of signals about, you know, when, when they need water, when they need more sunlight, when they need more air and things like that. And so you really just have to um, get in touch with your plants. And, you know, that was like, it's not a very scientific answer, but it, that is kind of like the more practical, useful one. But are there plants that are easier to manage indoors, including during the winter? Like a snake plant. That's the one I'm about to buy. Like succulents. I don't know. What did you discover? Well, generally, you know, there's a lot of tropical plants actually tend to do pretty well indoors because we tend to keep our indoor environments at a very steady temperature all year round. And so, you know, it tends to stay very close to 65 or above and and tends to be pretty dry in our own homes. And that's what tropical plants are used to. And if you can maintain that, that that actually helps them a lot. There are other plants that are more seasonal um, and, you know, they may winter, they may shed their leaves and may look like they're dying, but that's actually pretty normal. And that's kind of a hard thing for new plant owners to adjust to. You know, they may start pouring too much water or fertilizer, not realizing that, you know, this is actually normal. Your plant is hunkering down for the winter. So I may have thrown away really good plants that were never really dead, but I thought they were dead. Yeah. I mean, in the <gasps> wintertime, a lot of plants, you know, go dormant. You know, they, just like us, they don't go outside as much. They, they you know, they, shri- they shrivel up a little bit. They stop growing. Uh-huh. One way you can check is to like bend the stem, right? If it bends and it's still a little bit pliable, it's probably still alive. If it's brittle, it's probably not. 
So uh, that's another thing. You have, again, another way to pay attention to your clients and figure out, you know, what they actually need. Is there science behind why everyone has gravitated towards plants during this pandemic? I'm not sure there's any science behind it, but I've talked to some folks who work in the plant sector and, you know, they're saying that they've never seen this level of interest before, that nursery shelves are being all cleared out. So certainly there is, but I think maybe it's that we're spending a lot more time indoors, a lot less time outside. And so this is one way we can get in touch with nature, you know, while still isolating and social distancing. Don't plants just make us happier though, mentally, like it helps supports our mental health? I suspect it does. I mean, it definitely uh, brightens up my room. I don't really have much in the way of artistic taste. And so that way I can let nature run its course. I, I mean, that's shocking. You look like a real creative. Well, we'll see. I was just criticized for my backdrop in another call. <laughs> How dare them? Uh, finally, Umera, what plants should people stay away from? Generally, I mean, especially if you're a beginner, like things that are very, very finicky, things that require <clears throat> a lot of water or that are not suited to the conditions of your home. Like, you know, some temp plants do require a big temperature swing and some plants, you know, may need a lot more direct light and those require a lot more attention. And so things like lilies and other kinds of flowering plants that you're trying to make bloom during the winter, those are going to require a lot more attention and short of a greenhouse, that's going to be really difficult to do. All right. Well, Umera Irfan, thank you so much for joining us today and educating us on plants. I feel much smarter. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Umera is a staff writer from Vox.com. Now coming up, the latest updates on COVID-19 restrictions coming from Governor Cuomo in New York. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, children's books with queer representation. Is it just a trend or here to stay? Genderqueer author Jason June joins us for that. Plus, oh, this is an exciting one. Glozell joins us to share her difficult journey from YouTube star to being drastically or basically bankrupt. And just now she gets a little bit emotional. We all do just because, you know, we've seen her at her top and we are seeing her reveal every little step that she's going through. And mm -hmm. it's really uh, just so wonderful to see how optimistic she is just in, in the middle of a storm. And it's inspiring. Yeah, and she has a new talk show out. So hang out with us for that next later this hour. Uh, but first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Governor Cuomo announced indoor dining in New York City will close down effective Monday. Outdoor dining and takeout can continue. Here's what he had to say. Uh, we said that we would watch it if the stabilization, if the hospital rate didn't stabilize, we would close indoor dining. It is not. We're going to close indoor dining in New York City on Monday. Uh, outdoor dining and takeout continues. Well, at least they're lucky they have outdoor dining because even L.A. doesn't have outdoor dining. I mean, they don't need to have outdoor dining. No one needs to be dining anywhere except for their, in the comforts of their home, social distancing away from anybody. I know, sure, you like to go out to eat, <laughs> but guess what? Let's just sacrifice. <laughs> Let's yes. sacrifice, people. Of course, Ryan, whatever you say, yes, sir. Now, the Manhattan DA has intensified the investigation of Trump. Prosecutors have recently interviewed employees of President Trump's lender and insurance brokerage in the latest indication that he still faces the potential threat of criminal charges once he leaves office. And that's something he can't protect himself around if it's at the state level. So we'll see what happens with that. But they are continuing to do the work, that's for sure. Now, Representative Bill Pascrell is asking House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to refuse to seat members of the next Congress who back President Trump's effort to challenge the election. The demand came as more than 120 House Republicans, including Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, had signed an amicus brief supporting Texas 
election lawsuit in the Supreme Court, which was rejected today. The suit asked that the court prevent electors from finalizing President-elect Joe Biden's victory in Georgia, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, let's dive right into the T-Report um, because we got a lot of things to cover right now. So Marvel has officially announced, um, uh, because Disney was making a whole bunch of announcements last night for their invest like investor like live stream that they were doing, where they were letting everyone know kind of the next programming for the next couple of years. Their upfronts or something like yeah, that? Yeah, it was something like that. But we're going to talk about that more next hour. But uh, Marvel uh, officially announced that they are not going to recast the role of King T'Challa in the upcoming film Black Panther 2 to honor the legacy of Chadwick Boseman. Um, that is, of course, he played the role um, at before he died this August. Disney announced Thursday that the film will explore the world of Wakanda, the fictional country in which the first film took place. So they're going to do a deeper dive into the characters that we saw in the first film, which, you know, I actually really enjoyed that idea more than recasting Chadwick. I think we need to keep it how it is. Um, yeah, that's true. Moving on, Shia LaBeouf has just mm-hmm. been sued by his ex-girlfriend and iconic artist, in my opinion, FKA Twigs, who claims he physically abused her, tormented her, and gave her an STD. Now, I'm going to put a trigger warning on this for anyone who has dealt with any of this stuff. Sorry, just want to report what's going on. FKA Twigs outlines in her new lawsuit horrific allegations of abuse. She claims that Shia once slammed her against a car and attempted to strangle her and as for those claims she says that he knowingly gave her an STD which she believes she contracted in 2019 and says he confessed um, and said that he had a flare up but covered it up with makeup she also claims at least one other woman with whom Shia had a relationship with also contracted the disease Uh, Shia actually wrote um, this full on statement to the New York Times saying although many of these allegations are not true I'm not in the position to defend any of my actions. I owe these women the opportunity to air out their statements publicly and accept accountability for those things I have done. As someone in recovery, I have to face almost daily reminders of the things I did when I was drinking. Wow, and, that's powerful. Well, is it? Because I still no, I mean, think- that's real. It's it's unfortunate, but like, and that, of course that shouldn't, he should still take responsibility. And he diminished it by saying many of the allegations are not true, but then you're saying that you want, you're going to accept accountability for the things that you've done. It's, it's the, the entire mm. statement is really long of him kind of still saying that he didn't really do anything, but I'm gonna let you all go over there to weirdchannelq.com to read it. And of course he was followed at LGT show everywhere. You know, someone wrote a book about how to apologize. We got to have that person on because there's a lot of people that need to learn these things. A good apology is hard, by the way. I agree. It can be difficult. I agree. Okay, coming up, the future of queer representation in children's books. Genderqueer author Jason June joins us to share how he's shaping this new normal next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Gender queer author Jason June has been killing it, writing queer inclusive youth stories for Scholastic, HarperCollins, Simon and Schuster. I mean, all the the big companies there. He's been there creating amazing stuff. His new Valentine's book, Porcupine Cupid, is out now, and he joins us here on the show. Welcome to Let's Go There. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I mean the work you're doing is pretty incredible. What inspired you to focus? 
your writing on inclusivity for children? It was really important to me as a gay and gender queer person that kids from all age ranges, I mean, I write for kids, that is the legal definition, zero to age 18, um, that kids, no matter their age, have books that they can read that explore sexuality, that explore gender identity, and help them if they realize that there's this unknown part about themselves that they know, know about, and it's not really talked a whole lot about in school, uh, that they can have these offerings that explore all aspects of them, things that I didn't have when I was a kid. Yeah, because it honestly feels like, of course, it's for kids, but it also can be a learning experience for parents. Uh, how did you kind of build that into your books? Absolutely. So the best part about Porcupine Cupid, which is a picture book, is it's in the title. It's a picture book that the pictures are what is really is going to be a great learning point for young, young kids and whoever's reading the book to them, their parent, their teacher, their librarian, their guardian, that they can see we've done even though it's animal characters, Lori Richmond, the illustrator, was such an amazing ally. And we did sort of little gender cues because obviously we're not going to be talking about body parts and we're not going to be saying a specific energy belongs to a specific body. But we show like there are two feminine energies together, two lesbian bobcats in my mind, but they both have sort of feminine cues like longer eyelashes, feminine clothing. Uh, we have two masculine bears, which is sort of my wink to the gay community to have gay bears there together. Uh, but all in these clothing cues, in these gender cues, that this can spark conversations with parents and their young readers about like, what does this mean to you? What does this mean that we have two masculine looking people holding hands? What does it mean that we have this character that you can't really tell the gender? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? And of course, in my mind, that's a great thing that gender is not just two options but to spark this conversation with kids to realize that there's not just these two boxes that society sort of tells us we have to be shoved into. And I hope that it really just opens a lot of hearts for parents and the kids. Yeah, it's so needed. Again, you're hearing uh, from genderqueer author Jason June right now. So how do you approach these topics? Because I'm sure it can be difficult to figure out how to uh, best engage children and parents in these books. Like, did you just, you know, you're a writer, but it, it feels like this is a, a different approach. Completely. And it totally depends on the age range. Like for my picture book, I never say the words gay, genderqueer, lesbian, any of that. It's really about the pictures and Lori Richmond, the illustrator, really bringing those couples to life and exploring through different like clothing cues and just kind of energy cues, uh, what it means to have like two masculine energies holding hands or do these look like two girls to you, that kind of thing. Whereas when I'm writing for older readers, like with my young adult rom-com, it's gonna come out in June, it's called Jay's Gay Agenda. And I just like put it there straight in the title. This is a book about a gay character. And when you read the summary on the book flap, it's about him experiencing all these gay firsts. The first time he's gonna hold hands, the first time he's gonna have a kiss, the first time he's gonna have sex. And the key to all of that is really having supportive editor allies where I've just said, mm -hmm. this is what I write. And they've said, we're on board and tell us how we can help, which has been so magical. Yeah, I was wondering that actually how it's been, your experience has been with your editors. And are you seeing that experience kind of translate to other queer writers that you may be familiar with? Like, are we seeing more people being open to queer content and um, really being more accepting? You know, we hear a, a lot about allyship, but is it actually happening? What's really magical is we're getting so many 
queer offerings in children's literature in general, we could still use way more in picture books because there is a lot, a lo excuse me, a loud portion of population that will say they don't want kids to see anything that's queer because it's not age appropriate, where it's like, there is no age where it's inappropriate to talk about couples and love that you see around you. But with young adult, I think I heard, and I need to fact check this, but June 1st, 2021 is going to be the gayest release day of young adult literature in all time. Because uh, there's going to be nine brand new gay titles released on the same day wow. by queer authors. Uh, and I mean, nine sounds like a small number for one That's a day. huge number. But it's huge. Yeah. It's like ginormous. And 2020 saw a lot of great queer literature. It's happening. We are on the cusp of like a big, great queer wave. And all I can say to editors is just acquire more, publish more. That's amazing because I think it's going to change this next generation. That's for sure. Absolutely. To see themselves in books, representation matters. It's so important for racial identity, for queer identity, all of it. Representation matters. Well, Jason June, thank you so much for being here and for everything you do. It's very inspiring. Thank you for having me. It's so great to talk to y'all. That was genderqueer author Jason June. To pre-order or order any of his books, just go to heyjasonjune.com. Now coming up, social media star and comedian Glozelle is joining us to tell us about her comeback story, how she was on the edge of homelessness and now is starting all over again with the help of her celebrity friends on her new talk show. She joins us next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Now I'm so excited for our next guest. This is so special. Glozelle is what many call an OG YouTuber mm -hmm. who built a social media career after her cinnamon challenge video blew up back in 2012. And now she's sharing all the ups and downs of her journey on the Glozelle show. And joining us right now, she's a dear friend and I've just seen how much she's grown over the years. Glozelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. I love you, sure. It's so nice to see you and not just at the gas station because like I pulled up to the gas station and like I hear your voice. I'm like, what, what? So, yeah, <laughs> well, we're so proud of you. Uh, we were really, really moved, uh, both of us, by uh, what you're doing and this first episode. Tell us about what went into, uh, or like the, the decision making of starting the show and really pouring yourself into it and sharing everything. Sharing everything. Well, I really love the Singleton Foundation who um, run millionstories.com. They came to me, there's a show called Face Plant on there, and you just talk about like your your story. So I'm talking about my story, and they're like, huh, you know, th there's something there. And they, they, were, they were interested in myself, and people were really drawn to my Face Plant story on millionstories.com. And we, we were talking, and I'm like, well, this is where I am, you guys. Like, on top of that, now there's a divorce coming, and on top of that, you know, here comes the COVID, and on top of that, like, on top of that, and on top of that. And um, I'm telling them, like, what's really happening and what's really going on. And, like, well, you know, that could really help a lot of people, yeah. basically. And, you know, by watching you and, and giving you the tools to get up, you know, get back on your feet and what to do. Like budget, I don't know. When money came in, I was spending money. You know, if the money's in there, then I spend it, you know. And now, uh, especially when there was somebody else in the household that was in charge of the bills and everything, now that they're gone, I'm like, where, where do I pay this? Where, where mm. I don't know who I'm, I, uh, wh who, where, do you, where do you pay your gas? I don't, I don't know. I, I, everything was kind of set up. I knew nothing, you know. So now 
is crazy. Yeah, and I, I I look back at like one your your rawness, and I think about me where I'm so a type of person where I'm open, but I only want to give people what I feel like I want to give them, right? And you are really just putting it all out on the table. Was there a moment, and are you experiencing in that moment kind of just having to release the pride of it all and just be like, it is what it is. How do I move forward? It is what it is. I, the pride and ego is long gone. When you're like, oh my goodness, uh, there's notes, notices on your door and I don't have, I, I just put the tags on my car this week, you know, because yes. I'm hiding my car, you know, like maybe, maybe the repo man can't get the car if, you know, they don't know it's my car, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's a Benz, you know, hey, you know, but I can't afford it. Yeah. So. I look good driving it, but <laughs> Glozelle, <laughs> uh, can you give some context of like how you even got here? Like what actually happened? Because well, you what? it seems like perception wise you were at the top of the YouTube food Very chain. Fair. Yeah. Trolls. And by the way, one of the first black women on YouTube to be a YouTube star, right? And then yes. what happened from there? How did it all kind of fall well, apart? Definitely mismanagement of of money, but when uh, YouTube changed how you see things, you know, not even all my millions of followers are watching or seeing my stuff, then that affects brand deals, that affects money, that affects everything. And you're still living up here. You know, the money is going here. And I'm like, yeah, but it'll come back. I'm always making a hit. There's like, you know, it was nothing for me to be, make a hit, but if the people not seeing it, this is not viral. You know, in order to be viral, you got to see it. And so, and I'm like, of course, you know, I love YouTube so much. They're going to take care of you somehow, you know, and that it just kept going down, kept going. And then I kept downsizing. Okay. Four bedrooms, three bedrooms, three bedrooms, two bedrooms, you know, two bedrooms, you know, to a smaller two bedrooms. And, and then I did, you know, all the IVF that I was still in loan and debt from that. Mm. But Hey, it only takes one viral hit, you know, to, to, now I'm over $200,000 in debt, trying to play catch up when you get some money. And, and now money is like, oh, $100, $300, you know, wow, uh, that is already gone. You just, you know. And do you think, because YouTubers have talked about this, right? How they felt just hung to dry by YouTube and not supported. Were there any conversations that you had with them? Like, did you just feel like, that all of the work that you put into really helping YouTube become what it is, that you were just kind of out there being like, well, they have no answers for you. Right. I had uh, meetings and they're like, well, yes, you're on the decline. I'm like, well, I get that part. Meeting after meeting after meeting. And you're like, meanwhile, you know, uh, uh, notices on the door. And I'm almost thankful for COVID because they can't kick you out. They don't, they can't kick you out right now. So I don't get, I get, can you please pay? As opposed to you gonna be out. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. and so now I'm playing, I'm playing catch up. And divorce lawyers, like it's like that, that it costs a lot. You know, everything a costs a lot. And, and I think uh, people, people are surprised because I guess they have this perception that you're a social media star. You have these numbers and therefore your life is like this. But you've been very now honest and open that that's not the case. OK, we got to talk about your new series, The Glozell Show. More on that with Glozell next. 
Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with YouTube star comedian Glozell, who's been very open and vulnerable about her entire life journey with us. And now she's got a new series. It's called The Glozell Show. So now I guess with this uh, show, The Glozell Show, you're having your celebrity friends come in and give you lessons on how to make your comeback. (laughs) Yes, one of my first guests, my first guest is Candy Johnson, and we, hey, you know, it was Bonnaroo, you know, and it was with yes. you. Yes, you were there when uh, we really connected and we're together in this car, and we're doing commercials and everything, and I see where we were there, where I couldn't walk anywhere because, oh, Glozelle, and now look at where we are now. She's She's evolved, she's changed, and She's got product in Target and all these other places. Like, where's my lipstick? Like, well, you know, I didn't evolve yet. So the Singleton Foundation, MillionStories.com, the Glozo Show is all about finding, you know, how, you know, how to make it now. Especially for me, I'm a single mom, you know, <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic uh, with no uh, consistent money coming in. Uh, there's yeah. going to be, if you're not in that position, there's a lot of people who are going to be in that position because of lockdowns and where we are right now. So how did the Glozell show become the decision being like, all right, let's try this. Was is Do you feel like this is your last effort um, to try to make something happen? What are, you, what are you thinking? A thousand percent, this is the last effort to make something happen. I'm like, okay, because the, the show doesn't go, hey, you need money, here's money. This The show is to to give me tools to know how to 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 maintain and sustain. But meanwhile, I am in this predicament. So I don't know if this show is going to follow me when I move into my mama's house or have a nice tent outside. I don't know what what, what is all going on, but it is following me and where I am in real life. You know, like I, right now I'm deciding like I need to get another divorce lawyer or, you know, is Ozo going to be able to go to school? You know, so because mm. all my friends are tapped out, like I've asked, I've borrowed and everybody, you know, it's hard for everybody. Again, we're talking to tube star comedian Glozell, who's been very open and vulnerable about her entire life journey with us. What do you hope the takeaway is from your story and from this new show? Well, my takeaway is definitely, um, especially people in, in the Internet, because fame can come really quick and come in one video. And a lot of people are young, but then and platforms leave like um, Vine. You know, there's a lot of Vine stars, you know, and now there's no Vine. So I'm just hoping that they watch and pick up on what you're supposed to do as I'm learning what I'm supposed to do. Mm. You know, my mom just says save. Well, once I get something, I can't save nothing because I'm in the hole, you know? Yeah. Like, so I we need something better than you. You just need to save and pray, you know? You know? And she was giving me money, but she's tapped out. She's gone into a retirement because I'm Glozelle. I'm in LA. People know who I am. Something's going to happen. You know, you are supporting and- your entire family. I mean, that's what happens with a lot of, of, of these, uh, you know, st- stars. Like, I mean, I know that you end up supporting your entire family. Yes. Everything you're doing is so special and you are so talented. And I hope, you know, like the, the okay. journey always continues. There's, there's, you end a chapter, there's a new chapter right. and everything that you've learned is just going to help you t- be where you got to be. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So I'm begging and telling everybody, you know, uh, unshameful plug. Please follow the Glowzell Show on YouTube. Follow MillionStories.com and you'll see everything. You'll see Faceplant, where it started, where that story was, and then how it developed into the Glowzell Show. So I uh, thank you for having me on. And you, uh, it makes me feel good because I'm like, 
some friends are gone, you know, that some are, are here. And uh, I thank you. It's good to see the friendly faces. You got to follow Glozell everywhere on social media at Glozell and watch her show on millionstories.com. Now coming up on the show, we've got What's Trending This Hour. A new study suggests what younger kids actually want as a gift. The big revelation next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, does the U.S. and Israel really have a pact with aliens and are they living on Mars? The host of the Skeptoid podcast joins us to debunk that story in a moment. I mean, I truly believe there are aliens in the universe, but this story is wacky and uh, unconfirmed. Let's just put it that way nicely. Yeah, still very intriguing, though. And so we had to dive in. (laughs) <laughs> Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, right now. CNN's Wolf Blitzer talked to Republican lawyer Ben Ginsburg about the Supreme Court rejecting President Donald Trump's bid to overturn the 2020 election results. I think it put a huge stress test on, on our democracy that we've never had a president of the United States talk about fraud the way the president did pre-election and file those suits. And then the post-election speaks for itself. But, you know, Wolf, it's five weeks after Election Day and the institutions of our democracy held against this onslaught. And so uh, we should be we should be really proud of that. Uh, and at the same time, the Republicans who did follow Donald Trump really have an obligation now to make the country strong again, to heal the chinks that Donald Trump tried to put in the foundation of the country and the democracy. And there might be another reason why Trump is not happy with his longtime loyalist, Attorney General William Barr. Barr knew about two federal investigations into Hunter Biden for months and worked to keep them from the public ahead of the election. And that's according to a new report from the Wall Street Journal. He even went as far as avoiding providing information about the probes to Republicans in Congress. You know, not to talk more Trump and Barr and all these things, but I just realized that my camera was off and Shira did not say anything, which means she is tired of seeing my face. Yes, that's what happened. I usually don't even like know. Or yep, that means she's I not know. even looking at me. I, I know. I, no, I'm it's just rude. looking at myself. It's rude. Anyway, what's what? What else is in the well, headline? You just totally. I did. I hijacked. I hijacked. Track. I hijacked. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm talking about serious stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, speaking of kids, <laughs> according to CNN, a new study suggests that younger kids are happier when they're given material gifts rather than experiential ones. This is for all the parents out there. Or for me, because Shira still owes me a housewarming gift. Yeah, that's exactly. I said, speaking of kids, <laughs> so. Why do young kids get more of a thrill from tangible items versus a thoughtful experience? Well, researchers at the University of Illinois, Chicago, conducted four separate studies and determined that very young kids ages three to five tend to appreciate material items more than experiences because at this stage, a child's memory is not fully developed. So they have a harder time comprehending, interpreting, and remembering events like a trip or a show. So toys and items, on the other hand, served as a physical reminders that can provide some happiness anytime they interact with it. Isn't that interesting? I mean, to be honest, it's just said that kids are kids. 
Yeah, or a little kid might have written that story. (laughs) Where's the sound effect there? Okay, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, let's dive into the tea reports. Cardi B accepted the Billboard's Woman of the Year Award from Breonna Taylor's mother, Tamika Palmer, uh, last night. I mean, during her speech, Cardi B opened up about her journey to success and the recent virality of her track, WAP, with Megan Thee Stallion. And, of course, she talked about its critics. Here she is. It's your girl Cardi, and I am honored for the Woman of the Year Award for Billboard. Um, You know, this year when it came to music, I had so many things planned. I had so many projects that I wanted to come out. Unfortunately, due to COVID, I couldn't put out the visuals the way that I wanted. It It messed up my creative space. You know, I think everybody this year was just messed up. So I'm just grateful and thankful that, um, the song that I actually did put out this year, which was WAP featuring Megan Thee Stallion. It, not only was it an amazing song that broke so much, so many, so many records, but you know, it was just a conversation that I never thought it was going to be so big. I mean, it pissed off a whole bunch of um, Republicans for no reason. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was just weird. Thank you for always loving my music. Thank you for loving me. And I love you guys. And And yes, Cardi B, it was weird that the Republican Party was obsessed with your song. I have to agree. Mm, Yeah, and it just made it more popular. Yeah, it really did. Uh, Now, moving on to the Kardashians, another popular group of women. Um, If you thought the Kardashians were leaving TV, well, think again. Following the news that Keeping Up With The Kardashians will air its 20th and final season on E! in 2021, Hulu announced that the family will create exclusive content for the streaming service after the hit E-series ending next year. The multi-year deal was announced during Disney's Investors Day. That's what I was talking about last hour with the whole Marvel oh, thing. They did a whole situation. Um, here's what they said. Announced today at Disney's Investor Day, Chris, Kim, Courtney, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie will create global content which will stream exclusive on Hulu and uh, in the United States and in multiple territories on Star Internationally. Um, This is supposed to debut in late 2021. Basically, the Kardashians need to make more money and this is the way they're doing it. That's your tea report. You're welcome. They really had a hard year. You know, Mm -hmm. it's been hard for them. They got bills Uh, to pay. uh, Yeah, they have to pay all our bills. Come on. (laughs) Where's the love? Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We're wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now, this seven-year-old Arkansas girl is already pretty much an activist. She pleaded with a toy maker to start making a female version of the iconic Green Army Men figurines. And she basically got her wish granted just in time for Christmas. And it's actually interesting because this has been around forever And it's taken someone like her, a seven-year-old, to finally say something to make a difference. I mean, it always takes the seven-year-olds to get us together, of course. Right. Now, Vivian Lord is a second-grade student, and she received an early Christmas present, as I mentioned, two bags of BMC Toys Plastic Army women figures, according to her mom, Brittany Lord. So how it all started was Vivian sent a letter to several toy makers last year. She said, why do you not make girl army men? She wrote, my friend's mom is in the army, too, so why don't you make them? 
<laughs> and that letter, of course, went viral on social media. Uh, one toy maker did respond to Vivian's letter, Jeff Immel, the president of BMC Toys in Scranton, Pennsylvania, who delivered that gift. So yes, queen of the day to Vivian Lord, so young, but already making a difference. I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed. And yes, queen. And of course, if you want to nominate anyone or an organization for our Yaz Queen of the Day, please let us know. Hit us up on social media at LGT Show and slide into our DMs. Now, of course, we're taking the weekend off, but we are back here for you weekdays live on Channel Q, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. On Monday, we're going to be talking about this new California bill that's going to require a four-year degree to become a cop. And uh, will that become the nationwide norm? Plus, why one of Tulsi Gabbard's last acts in Congress is deeply transphobic. That and more on the show next week. If you missed any of our shows this week, or of course, our amazing interviews, including the one we did with Glozell, check it out as a podcast. Yes.com app or where podcasts are available and search. Let's go there. We are sending you love and light. And honey, you better remember to slay. See you Monday. Have a great weekend. Bye, y'all. Let's go there with Shira Lazar and Ryan Mitchell on Channel Q. On the next show, a new California bill would require a four-year degree to become a cop. Will that become the nationwide norm? Plus, why one of Tulsi Gabbard's last acts in Congress is deeply transphobic. Listen live weekdays, 4 to 7 p.m. Pacific, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Channel Q or on your own time with the Let's Go There podcast on the Radio.com app.